This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 163. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. Today I am recording with Mr. Nick Page, Erica Kay, and a new voice on the podcast, which is Sandy Duro. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, Sandy, you are the the new voice here. We are bringing on a lot of new voices to our podcast so that we can get a bigger diversity of opinions and experience and things to share with all of you guys. And so we're glad to have you, Sandy. Um, Tell us just in a couple sentences about you as a photographer. Well, right now I am still a photography student. Um, I'm about to graduate and I um, specialize or I'm focusing rather on the more commercial photography side of things. Very cool. And you're in Las Vegas? I am. I do. I live in Las Vegas. I've been here for about five years now. Very cool. Well, we have a number of listener questions this week that uh, we received on the Improved Photography Facebook uh, group. Uh, That's the Improved Photography Podcast Facebook group, I should say. First question of the week comes from Tim Covington, who says, is the ability to use APS-C lenses on a full frame body a compelling reason to choose a, a particular camera brand? Um, so I guess this is one that I, I kind of want to start talking about when you are moving into full frame, you've obviously got to buy all new lenses, right? Your, your crop sensor lenses are not going to work on a full frame body, at least not usually. Not if you shoot Canon, certainly you, you physically mm-hmm. can't mount a crop sensor lens on a full frame Canon body. But on some of the other camera manufacturers like Nikon, now Pentax, now that they've add, added a, a full frame camera to their full frame DSLR to their lineup and others, you can still mount those crop sensor lenses. And what the camera is going to do is there's just going to be black in the area where uh, the lens doesn't cover the whole imaging sensor. And usually the camera camera will auto crop in uh, it to, to get rid of that black so you see a normal picture but it's with the focal length of a crop sensor camera and you're losing resolution on your imaging sensor because we're only using part of that sensor and so what do you guys think do you think that's a an, an important <clears throat> thing to consider uh, when you're moving to full frame would you choose nikon over canon for that or would you choose pentax over canon for that Really, if you're going to use a one of those lenses on a full frame camera and you're having to crop in on your image anyways, you're kind of defeating the purpose of going to a full frame camera, right, in, my, in my opinion. So really, the <laughs> if you're going to upgrade, the upgrade is kind of similar regardless of your camera brand. You want to upgrade your lenses first. That way, when you get that full frame camera, you have lenses that work right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in my opinion, uh, it's kind of the wrong way to go about it. And, and, you know, it, I guess it could be nice if you're saving up for a little bit, you got the camera and it's just going to be a month or two before you get that nice full frame lens. It would be nice to have that as an option, I suppose, but it's not doing anything that you couldn't already do it just in Lightroom. You could, you know, if you're shooting Canon and you used a, a crop sensor, uh, lens, which you can do, Jim. I know you said you can't mount it, but I, I did that on my, when I first went full frame, I, I was able to mount some of my lenses, mm-hmm. my old lenses on there. Um, uh, but like but the still, 50 millimeter. Yeah. Sorry. The 50 millimeter works just fine. The, the plastic mm-hmm. magic. I had the Sigma 10 to 20, I think it was, but regardless, like you're kind of defeating the purpose. So as long as it's a short window of time that you're going to be doing that, 
maybe it makes sense, but really the right way to do it is to upgrade your lenses first, then, then get your full frame camera. You know, that's a really good question because I don't think that a lot of people have the foresight to re to realize that when, you know, they're thinking like, you know, eventually you're going to go to a, a full frame. Of course, you should look at that lens and say, well, is this going to be around when I upgrade? So that's okay. a really good question. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I just don't see the purpose in, in doing this. Like Nick said, I think you got to get the full frame lenses first and mm -hmm. then get the full frame body. Uh, otherwise, I, I mean, there, there really is just no point whatsoever to going to the full frame body. I mean, there's just right. no point in it at all. Uh, there are some great crop sensor bodies out there right, right now. It used to be that the full frame bodies were just better. I mean, they were just made better. If you were a professional photographer, they just had the better features. I, I wouldn't say that's true anymore. You know, Nikon mm -hmm. with their Nikon D500 that just came out. I mean, that's a pro quality camera, uh, uh -huh. but it just happens to be an APS-C sensor in it. Uh, and we can say the same about some of Sony's mirrorless options, Fuji's, etc. There's some excellent crop sensor cameras. And so unless you're using the full frame lenses, th there's just no point to this that I can see. You know, another thing too is, um, you know, for me, um, I don't have two full frame cameras. I have a, a crop sensor as my backup. So I think it would be really beneficial to have lenses that work for both. I could interchange them between both, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Our next question comes from Don Williamson, uh, who's basically asking, should we only shoot in manual mode as we improve in photography? Is that the goal or uh, is aperture priority still something that we should hang on to as professional photographers? And uh, I know for a fact that we are going to disagree on this one because <laughs> Nick, I know, <laughs> always shoots in manual mode and I shoot in manual mode a lot of the time, uh, but I use aperture priority. I mean, constantly. In fact, if I just have one mode to pick it's probably going to be aperture priority uh, as my default and then if i'm going into a sp specific situation such as if i'm shooting flash photography always 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 manual uh, just always manual if i'm shooting flash because I've, i don't want to always have to watch that flash sync speed and make sure the camera isn't messing it up if i'm shooting night photography it's going to be uh, manual because everything's super slow and i want to control every single thing very very slowly uh, but nick i know you're on the op opposite side of this so i want want to hear from you but erica and sandy what do you guys think i'm manual too i'm team nick sorry jim ah! <laughs> I, I i am team i am manual but i could see a case for if you're you outside. guys are ganging up on me well, no no <laughs> hold on hold on i could see a case for if you're outside and you're like shooting kids or you're doing something that has to be really fast that you would want to keep it on aperture priority mode but i think that um you know anytime that i come in um indoors it that's when it doesn't work for me the shutter speed just goes way too slow or you know like even with your iso high i just I, i'd like to have a little more control but again if you can keep your iso low and your um aperture priority on then outside then fine whatever so eric and i have had lots of conversations <laughs> about this very thing yeah. and so you know even when you're doing portraits mm -hmm. uh manual is just way better and the reason it's mm -hmm. better is because your exposure will be exactly the same in every photo every that's taken in the similar light situation so you know i let's say i'm doing a senior photo shoot it's a nice overcast day i don't have to shoot in manual but by shooting in manual all my photos are going to have the same exposure mm -hmm. and so when i go to edit that first photo and sync those settings across to all my other photos mm -hmm. i'm not going to have to go in and tweak 
tweak every single exposure. But, if I'm in, uh, sorry, continue. Uh, is somebody disagreeing with me? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sandy's coming for my backup. <laughs> All right, let's. What well, do you got? That's if you're shooting in the same angle. But like I said, what if you have a bunch of kids at a park and you're chasing them around and you're shooting, you know, you know, crosslit versus backlit. You know, maybe that it's would true. be a good time to use it. Right. So there are those situations where the lighting is just changing too dramatically. Like, you know, it's clouds and then it's direct sun and then it's clouds and direct sun or shade, not shade. In those situations, like if you really, really can't keep up with the light changing situation, that's what auto ISO is for. Because you get to pick your shutter speed. Mm -hmm. And you get to pick your aperture. Mm -hmm. So those settings are going to be the same. And then you throw it into auto ISO and mm -hmm. it compensates for you. No, I, like I said, I shoot in manual, but I, I guess I could see how it would be um, an easier stepping stone for somebody that's not quite there, like ready sure. to do full manual or, you know, when they're put into those those high pressure situations where they might get a little flustered, which has happened, you know, to me. Exactly. Um, but no, I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm full. <laughs> well, I can, right, I can understand right. the point. I think you made an excellent point about uh, having the, the exposure the same. You know, when you're shooting portraits, if the lighting is the same and the, your subject is wearing a jacket and then somebody takes that jacket off and they have a white shirt underneath, well, the exposure on the camera is going to change because now there's more white in the picture and it's going to assume that that means there's more brightness in the picture and there's not. The lighting's actually the same. And you're right, for that kind of situation, I wouldn't want the camera to change. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's a lot more rare of a problem than the issue of just spinning forever dinking around with the camera and you do get faster at it i mean i can get pretty close if i were to just you know see a scene and i can get pretty close in in manual mode but still it's rare that you're going to just nail it every single time uh the very first time with with manual mode but in aperture priority i feel like that's pretty common yeah i'm, I'm just going to bring up the camera and in aperture priority it, it will get it right uh, because mm -hmm. in in a lot of situations especially during daylight uh it, it real it will get it right when it gets mm -hmm. really dim indoors when it's uh you know real low light the sun hasn't uh, hasn't gotten up above the the horizon for a landscape then yeah i agree aperture priority is, is probably not a great option i'd probably shoot in manual too uh but right. I, I just i think I, i'm not saying that you guys do this but i think some photographers just have the assumption that manual mode is professional and aperture priority mode not professional and i think it's important just to recognize that it's really just how you want the camera to work you can achieve in any of the same settings you want uh, using using either one it's just a matter of do you want the, the camera to help you to get that starting place and to start moving around a little bit or do you not there's only a few types of photography where manual is better and mostly it's in portraits landscapes sports <laughs> uh, weddings <laughs> and pretty much every other type of photography there is they, you know, I, not every camera has the auto ISO feature that I rant and rave about, mm -hmm. but the ones that do, I feel like auto ISO just uh, is a much smarter way of going about um, compensating for those quickly changing ideas or uh, situations. But, you know, it is it is um, 
a little bit stressful the first time, few times that you're well, you're learning manual mode and maybe you're getting your first several pain gigs or something. You're in a stressful environment. Aperture priority probably isn't a bad place to go, but keep in mind that like if you, if you're struggling getting the, your settings right um, quickly, you can take that first shot in aperture priority, look at your settings, switch it over into manual, copy those settings and then, and then just, spend a moment thinking, do these settings make sense? Like is one fiftieth of a second going to be fast enough for the people that are walking fast through my frame? Because aperture priority might not get that right, but manual will because you can sit there and think about it. And you, a lot of times the photographer is smarter than the camera. And so that's, that's why I preach so hard about it is because you end up with consistent results and you can sit there and analyze your settings and make sure they make sense. Now, I, I, I can understand that in some situations, but you mentioned sports, and that's one that really throws me. Uh, because let's say we're shooting a high school basketball game. Lighting is always bad in high school gymnasiums when you're, when you're shooting a, a high school. See, in other countries, they call this something different. And every time, I, there's somebody that uh, messages me every time I says high, say high school, and they're like, you're supposed to say university. I'm like, I'm not talking about college. Anyway, um, high school, I mean, Means like teenagers anyway in the yeah. United States. Uh, so when you're, whenever you're shooting a, a high school basketball game, when the players go to one end of the court or one corner of the court, it's darker than in the middle of the court. Um, uh, same thing with high school football at night under the lights. There's, I mean, the field isn't even close to the same brightness as you look across the field. And so, yes, sometimes you have the time to look around and, and play with your settings, but not when the, when the running back is streaking down the field. You can't like be adjusting your camera settings and stuff as they're running through different uh, lights every five yards. That's crazy. Uh, so there are definitely situations where where aperture priority uh, makes a lot of sense. I hate, I hate to, <laughs> I beg to differ, Jim. You were going <laughs> to so say that, you hate to disagree, but actually you're loving this. I actually love to disagree. So, okay. What if let's say one team has white jerseys, one team has black jerseys. And so the number of black jerseys in your frame is going to dictate your exposure in aperture priority mode versus the number of white jerseys. Or what if they jump up really high and there's a light in the background? Suddenly your camera is going to underexpose that. So in <clears throat> by shooting in manual mode, you get you, granted there are those dark and bright places of the gym. But typically, typically you're getting all of your shots from one area anyways. So like if you're underneath the hoop, you're getting most of your shots around that baseline area anyways. So you're kind of exposing for what looks good when they're in that area, because you're probably not going to get a great shot of them all the way back at half court if you're right under the hoop anyways. But what I'm saying is um, by shooting in manual you get to make sure, plus you're dealing with huge amounts of photos. Are you going to want to go through and adjust the exposure value for, you know, all 200 keepers or whatever that, that would take a lot of time. So by shooting in manual mode, you're exposing for the players rather than the background that they happen to be on. Because if they jump up and there's a light in the background, your photo is going to be so far underexposed that, you know, it's going to not look so good when you have to bump it up three stops in order to bring it up to the brightness 
level that you want it to be. Well, I guess a couple of responses to that is one, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to go through and adjust every photo because I'm not going to publish every photo. Uh, I'm really going to go through and pick my keepers anyway and, sure. and just adjust those. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to end up with 10 photos from the game anyway. And so I, I don't need all 100 photos that I took uh, to adjust them all uh, correctly because I don't need to chronicle every instant of the game. And about the number of, of jerseys, you know, more white jerseys than black and then more black jerseys than white um you know that that isn't a super common uh, scenario uh because usually you know we're kind of kind of in a mid-tone uh with those jersey colors but even so if i have a lot of white jerseys i'm probably focusing on the white team right now and so i do want those jerseys uh to be in proper focus if i have a lot of black jerseys then that's probably the story of the photo is those black jerseys right now and so i probably want those in focus so i don't know there are i think both of us can see there are there are benefits and drawbacks to both modes i guess the point that i hope we can all agree on is that (laughs) reasonable minds can differ and you're not like not a professional photographer if you choose one or the other agreed joe joe mcnally is actually kind of a good photographer so if he if he can get away with shooting an aperture priority mode maybe there's some sense to that (laughs) he's decent he's learning all right bastion bottle says how do you build up a following on instagram So I feel like I could talk about this one for a long time. So how much time (laughs) we got? (laughs) Um, So I think the most um, utilized way to build up a following would be to hashtag the crap out of your photos. Um, You want to make sure that you're posting good stuff first and foremost. So make sure that the stuff that you're posting is either a really great photo or it's interesting or it's funny or it's something that's going to grab attention. And then once you have that content figured out, then you need to make sure you're using hashtags and you're using them correctly. So Instagram allows you to to um, put up to 30 hashtags on an image. So use all 30 of them and make sure that you're doing your research beforehand to to really find out which hashtags are going to work best for what you're trying to um, you know, sell or push or what, what you're publishing the most. So if you're a photographer, which obviously you are because you're asking this question on a photography page, but you're going to use stuff like um, portrait or um, headshot, the things like that, the, the, the common photography um, um, hashtags. But if you're also a traveling photographer, then you want to make sure you're hashtagging the locations that you're shooting in. Um, you want to hashtag maybe the countries, the, the cities, the venue itself that you're using. So really do your research for the hashtags and make sure you're utilizing them, um, all 30 of them, um, as often as possible. Okay, so you you put all the hashtags on your photo, uh, and see, I I I've, I keep testing this of you know making one post on Instagram where I am including a lot of hashtags, and then on my next post I don't include hashtags, and I wait you know kind of for that week and see what what difference it makes, and. I, I mean, maybe I can see a little bit of a difference uh, by using those hashtags, but but not much, uh, not much of a difference that I'm seeing from using those hashtags. And, you know, I'm trying to find, you know, good hashtags to use in the photos, but at least for most of the people that I talk to and including myself, uh, I just I, I don't feel like that's giving me enough of a result. So what would you suggest? Yeah. you And once you get that nailed down, there's so many other things you can do. One thing that I like to do is, is be really active on Instagram. So I'll go in, maybe go into one of those hashtags that I'm using and look at some of the other photos in there, comment on them, like them, 
build a relationship with some of these people that I'm finding in there. If I really like their work or like their, you know, if they're traveling all over the place and I like seeing their travels, then I'll follow them and build up those relationships with them so that they follow me back and engage with me back. Um, so it's all, it's not one sided at all. Like you can't just mm -hmm. throw up a photo, throw up some hashtags, boom, done. I'm going to have 10,000 followers overnight. Like you, it's a process and you have to make sure that you are giving what you want to receive, you know, that kind of golden rule thing. So make sure that you're putting yourself out there. You're communicating with people. You're liking, commenting, following, doing all the kind of stuff, and then it'll come back to you. There are ways that you can like pay for all those followers and stuff, but the most natural organic way is just to participate and just mm -hmm. do what you want people to do to you. Um, and it, it'll take some time. It's not going to happen overnight, but you'll see your, you'll see it grow, especially with people like, like you guys who have really great photos if you just put them out there and hashtag and really engage and use Instagram, you guys will succeed on Instagram because the people who have, you know, like a million followers are people who are producing very similar work to you guys, landscape photographers, portrait photographers, all these people that are, are huge Instagram idols and all this stuff are people like you guys are, they're producing the same amount of work, the same level of work as you guys are. That's a great point about, you know, being engage, engaging in other people's photos. I think that's a step that a lot of us skip. You know, the same is true for 500px, you know, Facebook, Flickr, whatever. The more you engage with other people's photos and go tell them how great they are, the more people are going to see your comments and then, you know, come back and check out your work. So you have to engage with other people's photos in order to get any followers actually looking at your stuff. Mm -hmm. Totally. Can I interject one thing too, Erica? I think you've talked about this on the portrait session podcast before, but, um, you put your hashtags in like a notepad, right? So you can mm -hmm. just copy and paste it over. Yeah. So you do the same thing. So I, I thought that was really, really smart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another I thing, don't have to type them out all the time like that, which is really nice. So just copy them and they're good. They're there. Even I, I know I want to use it once it comes up again, once you start typing it, but just to mm -hmm. copy and paste it over there. And then I don't remember um, if it was you that said this, but, um, instead of putting it in the initial post, you make it the first comment below mm -hmm. it. And then once people comment, it kind of hides all those hides hashtags. It. So it yeah. doesn't look like it's just, you know, you trying to get more yes. followers. Yeah. You want to try to hide those hashtags and something, um, new that I've been doing even is you have to, it's kind of tricky to understand, to explain, but you have to, um, you have to hit enter and then um, period, enter, period, enter, period, five times. So you have to have an enter and then five periods in a row. Um, not next to each other, but below Vertical. each other. Okay. Yeah. And then another enter and then enter all your hashtags. And when you do that, it actually hides all the hashtags. It just puts a little dot, dot, dot next to your comment. So even if people aren't commenting on your photo to hide the hashtags, they're already hidden by using that secret magic period nice. enter trick thing. <laughs> um, so it's kind of hard to explain, but if you do that, that automatically hides your hashtag. So it's not clogging up your feed. Nice. You know, and another thing I was just thinking too, um, I've been told multiple times that I need to post more photos of myself instead mm -hmm. of just my work, which is hard for yeah. me to do. I'm not used to, to doing the selfies and all that, but, um, it really does work because when I post a picture of myself or what I'm doing, it gets more likes than my most beautiful <laughs> photos. So yeah, I find, same. I find that same exact thing when I post a Facebook, uh, I can get more likes on a photo of me and my son eating dinner than I can the really epic sunset 
that I photographed yeah. the night before, right. just because people want to know a little bit about the photographer and they like to kind of partake in your life with you. So right. um, it has to be a blend of, you know, your personal stuff with, with your work and, and then people feel much more connected, like they know you and exactly. it turns out, turns out people like that stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's hard totally for right. us. It's hard for us to, to put ourselves in the, in the limelight like that. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is. So are any of you using later Graham? I am. Oh, what, is it, what does it do? Because see the idea, this is what kind of kills me on it is I've got to like, remember every couple days to go back and post and pull out my phone and transfer a photo from Lightroom over to my phone and, and, and post and it just takes too long. And so yeah. I'm like, I'm just using Facebook where I can schedule a post. I can do it right while I'm at my computer and you can't post to Instagram from a computer. And so right. what I understood later Graham to be is you can schedule those posts posts out, but then I get an email from them that says it doesn't automatically post. So what does this thing do? So Instagram actually doesn't, it's against Instagram's policy for anybody to do any sort of automatic posting Which on behalf good. of an account. Cause it um, gets rid of spam so, by doing that. That's good. Yeah, exactly. So what Latergram does is instead of posting automatically for you, it just gives you a notification on your phone that says, uh, you have a, uh, an image scheduled to post right now. Um, and then you just click on it and then it, it copies everything over to you. It opens up your Instagram automatically. It copies the description that you've already put in there and then you just click post and it's done. Um, okay, so it's really cool. convenient. Yeah. I use it. Um, I'm not using it so much for my Erica K photography, Instagram. I'm using it a lot for my, um, travel, the travel business that I also own. Um, I, we, my partner and I schedule out anywhere from like two to four weeks in advance. Um, that way, anytime one of us is busy or whatever, we both get the notification on our phone that we can just go ahead and, and post it then. Okay. And it's, it's really nice because not only do you schedule the photo, but you can go ahead and put the description in there. You can put the hashtags in there. You put everything in there and then it copies everything over for you. Nice. Okay. Yeah. It's Very really cool. nice. Well, Erica, you wanted to talk a little bit today about a generating portrait photography business while traveling. And I was intrigued in this. I guess somebody asked on, I think it was the portrait session group, but I forgot who it was, asked mm -hmm. about how to get, you know, he was traveling somewhere and wanted to get business in that place while he was traveling. And I thought, that's going to be pretty tough. I mean, you've got to essentially set up a business in that spot and get your first client right while you're, you're there. So is this possible or what would you do? It's possible. Um, I've done it several times and I continue to do it. For example, I'm going, um, I have an engagement session scheduled in Boston in um, April and I decided to turn that trip into a giant road trip and I'm just making like a big loop around the Northeast. And um, through my techniques, I've actually managed to schedule three other uh, shoots while I'm making my loop around the Northeast. Okay. Um, this is crazy. So, How do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> You know what? It's Instagram. Most of it's Instagram. Um, <laughs> sorry for all of those who are using Instagram. Um, so I, this is another one of those things where Instagram is just wonderful. Um, so hashtagging, I, what I do is I will post either a, a, a portrait that I've taken or in, in this most recent case, I posted a screenshot of the route that I'm taking around the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And then, um, in the description, I just say, Hey, I'm traveling any tips, any advice. And then I throw in there a little, and Hey, I'm a photographer. And if anybody wants photographed, let me know. So then I, you know, I'm making it personable and relatable, but then also throwing a little bit of 
uh, my agenda in there as well. Um, and then I hashtagged it. I hashtagged all the states that I'm going to, the cities that I'm going to. I hashtagged, used all like the portrait photography hashtags, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it worked. It, it got responses for me. That's how I got, um, that's how our group was able to secure all of our, our portrait sessions that we had in New Zealand, which um, I think we're going to look at here in a minute. Um, and anytime that I travel, I do this. Um, there's some other ways you can get around not using Instagram. For example, if you're um, if you are a member of um, some Facebook groups that might reach worldwide or reach across the country or something, you could do something very similar in there. So, f um, for example, for our China trip, Perfect. actually. What'd you say? I was saying, I was just thinking that Nick's got the like Facebook, yeah. you know, realm yeah. conquered and you have Instagram conquered. I could see yeah. Nick doing this. <laughs> um, so for our China trip, I actually, I'm in a group called Girls Love Travel. There are about 27,000 women from all over the world there. And it's just all about traveling and stuff like that. So in that group, I posted something about our China trip and it was very much like, um, I'm going to be there. I'm looking for recommendations. What can I do in Beijing? All that kind of stuff. And then again, at the end, I put a little something about being a photographer and I had a portrait up there and I had several girls that are going to be in Beijing at the same time, contact me about doing sessions for them there. What? Um, That's crazy. <laughs> that is yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's so just cool. use your She's social media. <laughs> Use your social media. You okay, so so Erica, I I'm seeing on your Instagram that you have two thousand followers on your Instagram. Mm -hmm. Are those followers that you have? I I mean, are they the client type or are they the photographer type? Because I oh. mean, like I have, uh, uh, I think we have six hundred twenty thousand people on on Facebook that follow Improved Photography, but they're mm -hmm. photographers, and so right. I can't imagine that I would have great success. Uh, you know, booking a session in, in Xingping when we, when we go there, uh, yeah. you know, even though I'm sure we have listeners anywhere we go and you on Facebook, you can target your post to just, you know, this post only goes out to people in New Zealand or wherever it is that you're going on Instagram. Right. You can't do that. So I, 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 how are you doing it? Is your market, uh, it, are all your Instagram followers, you know, the client type or, or what? It's about half and half. I have a lot of photographers following me. I have a lot of client type people um, following me. Something that is also really important is to actually go in and look at the hashtags that you're using. So like go in and look at the Beijing hashtag or something like that, and then find somebody that looks attractive, find somebody that looks like the type of person you want to photograph and contact them directly. Um, and then also, if you know people in that area, if you have friends that live there, or if you just have some sort of connection there, reach out to them and say, Hey, I'm going to be in the area. Do you know anybody who might want to be photographed while I'm there? Um, and be specific, you know, let them know that you're looking for, you know, a woman or you're looking for a couple or a family with a dog or whatever, like whatever you're looking for, be really specific about it. Um, I think in your case, Jim, where you probably are going to have a lot more photographers following you than um, clients, you would need to kind of go going backwards and like you do the searching, you look at the hashtags and you start reaching out to people that look like the type of people you'd want to photograph. Ah, very cool. Someday I'm going to be as awesome as you, Erica. That's just <laughs> right? a really cool ninja trick. I well, feel like guys. we should do, or you guys should, we, like I'm going to be a part of it. Like um, you, you guys, you two should do an experiment where Nick does something on his Facebook page the next time he has a trip somewhere and you do the same thing. And she, she's the he genius. I couldn't, no. I, I couldn't pull this off. Like <laughs> no. this is some straight up voodoo stuff she's talking about. Like but you have just, to have this, you have to have the same wording, <laughs> just like do the exactly the same thing 
saying, try to keep it as controlled as possible, but see whether you get more on Facebook with the, how many followers do you have, Nick? Like 5,000. Yeah. I've got 5,000 on my personal, but then she's got the hashtags so she can reach more people with the hashtags. That is true. true. That's her special superpower. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag superpower. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag, hashtag superpower. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, Nick, you've been doing a little bit of wine bottle photography, which I didn't know was a genre until now. Uh, what have you been up to? So um, I, I have several working relationships with wineries and, and vineyards here in the in the, the Walla Walla Wine Valley. And uh, part of that is photographing their wine bottles. Um, not only do they need just product photography for like websites and, and various magazine publications where they have to display a picture of their wine bottle, but they also need marketing uh, material as well. So um, uh, I photograph their, their premise, their, their properties and, and all that stuff and get that kind of material for them for their print releases. But I also have to photograph their bottles and photographing a wine bottle is not as easy as it sounds. It is like one of the most complex setups for, uh, for such a simple object to photograph. It's, it's kind of challenging. So when you're photographing a wine bottle, typically you do it on both a white background and a black background. And, uh, like all white background stuff, you have to illuminate the background, but you also have to keep the reflections under control because you're photographing a glass bottle, which is going to just reflect stuff everywhere. And the only reflection that you want on that bottle is just a little strip of highlights that you create with your softbox. Right. So if you were so- to use like an Octobank or something, it's going to look weird. There's like this octagon shaped exactly. white spot on the bottle. Exactly. And because the bottle is round, I have to, while I'm illuminating my white background, um, any strobes that I'm using to illuminate that white background, that's, that's going to reflect off the bottle as well. So you have to not only control those with some grids, but you have to uh, control anything that in your room that might reflect light back. Like I had to make sure that all the windows were closed, all the monitors in my office were off and make sure that there was nothing white on the wall where it might catch some, you know, light and then bounce off. It was, it's crazy. So I was having to, uh, not only, uh, use grids on my background lights, but I was also having to flag, uh, using, um, like the black side of a five in one reflector. I was having to use those as black flags to keep, um, the wine bottle from basically seeing its surroundings. And then I had to illuminate it with one of my strip boxes. So complicated for a stupid little bottle. Um, (laughs) So the, the soft box that I use, I believe it's a 12 inch, 12 inches wide by 48 inches long, something like that. I uh, will put a link in the show notes. I don't remember the exact dimensions, but it's a long, skinny soft box. And that creates the long, um, single uh, highlight on the side of the bottle that's really aesthetically pleasing. It's like the correct classic way to photograph a bottle. When you're photographing wine bottles, there's like only a couple ways that are like approved to do it. And it's basically, you can either have one highlight or two highlights. And then you have to make sure that the label is readable. So you can't just put your key light off to one side very far. Otherwise your label is no longer readable, but you can't have it in front. Otherwise it's too flat. And then your highlights right in the center, super complicated thing to photograph, but, (laughs) 
Um, can, can I, um, can I propose yeah. some, uh, next, like next time you do it, something Absolutely. to try? Um, yes. so I know that this is how you would do it for beer bottles. I don't know if this would work for wine bottles, but I, I imagine it would. Um, so the way that I've seen it done in the past is you have, um, a soft box directly overhead and then you take two white foam core, um, oh, yes. you know, pieces just behind them. And then that would create the lines on the side, but it's not going to be the glaring, uh, lines that you would get even from diffusion, like a soft box. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I can try to to maybe see if I can find you know something around here and try it too and see if I can't right. figure out. But very that, cool. That's, and, th and that's the thing is like it's it's a type of photography that is really hard to find information out about. Like mm -hmm. when I went to photograph my first bottle, I could not find anything about wine bottles mm -hmm. specifically. Like you can find all kinds of things about other types of bottles that are easier to photograph because mm -hmm. you, there's a little bit of room for creativity. But with wine bottles, there's like no room for creativity. Mm -hmm. Like uh, winery owners are kind of um, quite particular about right? <laughs> what you deliver to them. They want a very particular look. And if it doesn't match that look, um, they, they, it's not a it's not a good result. So uh, the wine bottles, like more so than other types of product photography, there's a certain way it has to be done. And uh -huh. it's kind of silly, but. Yeah. But nobody, but nobody's sharing the ways that you have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. There, <laughs> that is not information. There, there is no YouTube video about photographing wine bottles. I think I found one. Hey, yes. I think I know something. Oh, ah, okay. <laughs> well, once I figure it out, I'll share it with you guys. Cause I'm still kind of, I think, in the process I, I, think of, I know a very good resource for this. So nice. we'll have to talk more. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. We'll talk after the show. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, Something that's, in the works. that's what I've been doing. Um, I, so the grids that I've been using, this is actually going to be my doodad of the week, but I've been using these little speed light grids. And what's so cool about them is they're magnetic and they just stick right to the end of your speed light. Super quick, super easy, and it's nice for controlling the direction of your light. So if you've never used a grid before, basically it's just this honeycomb <laughs> grid that goes over the end of your speed light and it keeps the light from spilling off to the sides. It keeps it directional and going forward. So okay. that was okay, how so I Okay, so why not just zoom it? Uh, isn't because isn't that what a zoom does on the flashes? It just keeps so the, 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 the zoom, light in one spot. Because I was illuminating the background of my... Um, of my background. I was illuminating the white background. If I zoomed it, it was going to spotlight it much like a snoot would. But if I just put a grid on it, it's going to control the spill off to the sides, but I'm still going to get a fairly wide, a wider, um, spread of my light than if I would, was to just zoom it. I, and it, I don't it get that. From, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Uh, so the, the zoom, I mean, we're just mm -hmm. picturing the beam. I mean, like, yep. let's picture the, a hose, you know, water coming out of a hose, right? You see, you know, the beam of, of how the water comes out of the hose. Yep. If we zoom it, constricts the beam. If mm -hmm. we grid it, it constricts the beam. Both of them are preventing spill off. I, I, I cause I've seen, okay, this so is, and this is why I want to understand is cause I, I've seen the mag mod many times. In fact, mm -hmm. I was one of the first people in the world to, to lay hands on them. They, they sent yep. it to me uh, before it was released and I, I just didn't get it. I, I still don't get it. I, I, oh, I just I don't see it. a so, purpose for why you would want to grid it. I mean, a bear flash is already so hard and such a tiny light. Why do we also need to grid the dang thing? Okay, so l let me illustrate this a little bit better. 
Now, if if you have the flash at like, you know, a 45 degree angle, the camera or the the bottle can see some of the flash surface. So when this goes off, you're going to get a very a bright spot on your bottle because the bottle can see this. But when I put this grid on, it can no longer see the surface that is producing that light because it, you know, this grid is what a half inch deep. And now it's not going to see the, see the light coming out of it from this angle, unless I turned it more at it. So it's still going to spread, not as much as it initially did, but it's not the, the highlights coming off of the front of this flash are not going to be visible to the bottle, which will cut down on that reflection. So that, that's pretty much it. But if if the bottle can't see the flash through the grid, then the light can't either, because that's the purpose of the grid is it's it's only pointing it to one specific spot. Exactly. But this flash is not hitting the bottle and I don't want it to hit the bottle. I want it to hit the background. So so constrict it and zoom it. I just don't get it. Well, I, 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 I totally get the purpose of a grid for a softbox <laughs> for other modifiers, but for bare flash, I just don't see the purpose of a grid. I, I've never seen a situation where like, oh, this isn't going to work. I have to grid the, the bare flash. I have I can't zoom it. I totally get it with a softbox like grids. I understand. But but on a bare flash, this just it doesn't compute in my head. What even if to? I zoomed it and it was sitting at this 45 degree angle, even if I zoomed it in, you're still going, this is still going to light up bright here on the surface of the flash. And it's still going to create that highlight on the bottle. Granted, it'll be a little bit smaller highlight and not a larger, softer one because a little bit less of the light is hitting. But if I put a grid on it, it's suddenly going to not show the face of that well flash. it is or going to show the face of the flash it's just going to show a weird pattern over it of a netting yeah. pattern over it but doesn't like the angle of incidence is that what it's called like come into play now so you could be lighting it but where you're shooting it from you wouldn't get the as much of the direct light on there like if you're what if you're shooting like metal or something you know like you want to reduce that as much as possible don't right. you yeah you and your your photographer college lingo <laughs> <laughs> angle of incidence well, i think that's just i don't think that they i think that's just my nerdiness coming no out. that's right you're right is that right no, that's yes. absolutely right I, yeah. I had i was i was totally uh taking a chance on that one but um <laughs> i i think i'm actually kind of excited about that one that's how, yeah. yeah i i just enjoy it because it's it's such a quick way to add things like you can i'm holding in my Gels. hand a gel and you can just go bam gelled now it's gelled and gridded and, and then it there's, looks there's so nice it they're looks amazing so they are so wonderful that looks so just much a better. Hater. he just he yeah. just don't understand i, I, I might be a hater this is I, I don't know i have i just this device does not make sense to me throwing a gel on makes total sense but just the a grid thing. on a speed light just so a bare speed light I, <laughs> jim what do you think would be the faster way to gel this should i like you know get some velcro out and like velcro it on or should i go like oh. no i i totally i totally agree with you the gelling thing is totally cool that you can just throw a gel on and it magnets on that's cool it, it's it the grid so part that doesn't make sense and, this, to, and the snoot that comes with this is this big rubbery like elephant nose looking thing mm -hmm. and it is just so cool it looks like some kind of anteater when you put it on your flash <laughs> it's i i probably won't use it very often but i'll just have it on there just to intimidate people i think sorry uh, i keep interrupting you but the, like i'm seriously excited about this because that looks so much better than the gels that i put on with gaffer's tape that look just hideous right like, oh, yeah, that looks wonderful. amazing so yeah, so before do you have one erica have you seen this yes, you do yeah. 
Yeah. I'm actually the one that told Nick about Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm like, I'm, my thunder. I'm so excited about this right now. You have no idea. Yeah, we're, this is like, Jim's over there like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> this episode of Magmod. I'm just like, I'm just shaking my head over here, guys. I don't know. But the, the gel thing, it totally makes sense. Except uh, now we can, we can gel a bear flash. We can grid a bear flash, which doesn't even make sense. Um, but <laughs> now we have this rubber thing that's kind of hard to remove the the mount on the on the speed light. It kind of wants wants to stay on there. It and so now, harsh. if you're going to put a softbox on it, doesn't fit. At least not the softbox that I use. Uh, if if we want to do different things with it, you kind of have to have like a mag magma dedicated speed light, unless you want to remove this rubber thing, the rubber the rubber holder, the mount part from the head of the speed light. Is it hard to remove? Um, it is. It's hard to it get. Is. Well, for it's, me, it's, it's harder, hard to get on and off. It's harder to get on than it is to remove. Yeah. Like it, it's. Uh, but then in order to on. get it on and off, like it's. It's, it fits the speed light pretty tight. So, you know, it takes a little bit of force, but I'm a strong guy. I can do that. So but you're kind of like dedicating one flash to, well, you could, you could use it in an umbrella just fine, but with a Absolutely. softbox, most softboxes, it's not going to fit. So you're like but dedicating don't, one don't, flash to this mag mod. So it may be easy to put stuff on, but now you, you've got one flash. That's just your mag mod flash. But don't we each have like four young Nuo flashes as yeah. it is? Like, it's, that's, there's no shortage of flashes them. over here. That's true. <laughs> exactly. But Magmod also makes the products that are supposed to replace your, your softbox and your umbrella and stuff. So like the whole Magmod kit, they are small, they're convertible, right. they are easy to use, easy to transport. And they, in my opinion, produce light that is equal to a giant softbox and a shoot through umbrella. So, I use mine almost exclusively on wedding days. Okay. So the, the light modifiers, the like uh, right now I've just got the little, it's like a, some kind of bounce domey thing. I'm not sure what it's called, but it's a big floppy white the, thing. The bounce. And so it's designed to uh, create a little bit of catch light when you're bouncing light off of the, the ceiling behind you or whatever. <laughs> Uh, the, the light modifiers I'm a little bit skeptical of. I'm not like on the bandwagon uh, with those yet, but I really like the speed of the other modifiers. Snoots are fun for creating really dramatic spotlight effects. Um, grids are awesome. Anytime you're going to backlight something, you know, those portraits where you're creating like rim or edge light on like an athlete or something. It's really hard to do those without getting a whole bunch of lens flare into your camera. But with a grid on there, you're creating less, <laughs> Lens flare. Oh, I, I, I can only imagine the faces Jim's making right now, but, but they're, they're good for that. So creating backlight and rim light, uh, those grids are going to work really well. And the gels are so fast to put on. So I don't care if you're a hater, Jim, I'm right in this one. Cause these are pretty sweet. And it looks cool. It just looks cool. <laughs> well, we have lots more to talk about, um, but before we get on, we want to talk a little bit about Zenfolio. Zenfolio is an excellent option for your um, photography portfolio. They have, uh, you know, you can host unlimited photos, so you don't have to worry about hitting your bandwidth limits or anything like that. Uh, it's very easy to get started. Plans start at just $5 a month to get started with Zenfolio. And one of the features that I really like on Zenfolio is how easy they make it to actually sell your photos. I would probably say it's the easiest option that I've seen uh, for when you want people to just be able to go on onto the website, 
buy buy a photo that you have on there and move on like it, it really is integrated really really well very simple uh, e-commerce e built into their websites it's of course mobile friendly and you don't need to code anything everything is built in there for you uh, our own jeff Harmon uses zenfolio and uh, likes it for for that yeah. and all the the things that it does on you can get a discount on Zenfolio by using offer code IMPROVE at checkout. That'll give you 30% off your subscription, which is a pretty nice discount. So start your free trial today with no credit card required. When you decide to sign up for Zenfolio, make sure to use that offer code IMPROVE to get 30% off your subscription to show your support for the Improve Photography Podcast. All right. Well, there's lots more to talk about. Uh, Sandy, you you live in Las Vegas, the the uh, convention capital of the world, and so you I'm want to so talk lucky. a little bit about WPPI. I do, I do. You know, it's it's totally convention season here. Like they just had this magic show convention, and that kind of caused gridlock on my way home for a while. Like there, <laughs> there's every convention here, but um, yeah. So WPPI is coming up, and it's my second year going to WPPI. Um, it's not as expensive, I think, as a lot of people think it would be, and hotels aren't really that much ex more expensive than you would um, imagine too. So I think that this is something that pretty much anybody could do, um, especially if you've been in the industry for you know, um, you know, 10 years or more, like this is something you're going to do in the future. Um, but my experience with WPPI in the past has always been that I get really excited and I walk around the whole place for all three days and I leave with a bunch of swag. Um, like I think when you everybody was giving away styluses and I had like 20 styluses, you know, <laughs> but then I didn't, I didn't really know like what I gained from it. You know, so this year I really want to have a good game plan and say, you know, the first day I'm going to focus on business and marketing stuff. And the second day I'm only going to focus on gear. Um, and then the third day I really want to look into um, printing and software and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, it's, uh, you know, on the uh, it's one of the videos I saw somebody say that like information you get at WPPI is like drinking water from a fire hydrant. Like it's <laughs> so much. And even just planning these classes have been has been quite overwhelming for me. Um, so I was kind of curious, you know, like if you guys have anything that you're super excited about, anything that's coming out, any vendors um, that you think I should hit up on any of my particular days. <laughs> Bagmod will be there. Magmon? Oh yeah, yeah, I know. Maybe I can get a deal on one. You should. Oh my I, I'm gosh. pretty sure Jim will be in the Magmod booth. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. This is what I say. Wait, is, no, Magmod it comes from a very nice company. I, I I know the owner of the company personally. He's an okay. Excellent guy. I, I think they made it make a great product. Obviously, a ton of people like it. Uh, just for me personally, it just doesn't make sense. And so that's that's just what I want to share when I'm on the show is just uh, whatever my honest perspective <laughs> is. But if you guys if you like Magmod, knock yourselves out. I, you should go buy it. Uh, it's from a great company. Well, you know, and maybe I can say, hey, we were just talking about you on the podcast and they'll give me like a discount or something. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I've, I've, um, I've never actually been to a big a convention like this before, but one of the things that I would be very interested in is just seeing uh, some of the print vendors and some of the new materials that they're coming out with, because it seems like uh, print materials and, you know, albums, stuff like that is constantly changing. And, you know, with companies being bought out, like, uh, uh 
happened not too long ago. Um, it's always interesting to see what new things are coming out in that regard, because there's always going to be those new gadgets and those new gadgets are going to be obsolete almost as soon as they're cool because there's the gadget after that's going to replace them. Uh, but print products, those are like one of those things that, uh, it really affects you and your business because not everybody will notice if you got a new lens, but everybody will notice if they're getting a new product that is not even, you know, other people aren't, aren't delivering. Mm -hmm. One thing I saw, and I'm not quite sure of the company now, um, because it was kind of a, a while ago, but they're, um, they were talking about doing 3d prints. And at first that kind of sounds like eh, cheesy. I don't know if I'm into it, you know, hologram ick, uh, you know, style, um, ish style. And, uh, when I saw one though, from a wedding, it was really beautifully done. So maybe that is the future of it. You know, who knows where we'll be in five do years. You, do you have to wear like super cool glasses, like one side red, one side blue or anything. Yeah. Can oh, you no, print out you, a bobblehead? You know. Because a bobblehead would be an awesome product. You do. <laughs> yeah. You do. You do. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. I went to a workshop with Jerry Gionis and he was doing some of that. He was just experimenting with it and um, he showed it to us and we all had to put on our little glasses and oh, watch the seat. Cool. Yeah. The way that I read it, I thought it was more like um, it was one print and the way, the way it was lit, like you have to light it a certain way and then it made it look like it came out of the... Yeah. Oh, that's It cool. may be different now. This was like a year ago. Or Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, yeah so that's I'll, so 2015. I know. Right? I'll, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know what I discover. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, and I, and I have a really strict budget this year. It's, um, you know, $200. Um, and I'm definitely, I actually do get to go to the Lindsay Adler's, um, the one that she does, uh, when you get your pass, the one she does for free. So I got my spot. I'm so happy. Um, but oh, Lindsay's awesome. awesome. Yeah. We've had her on the podcast before. She's so good. Very cool. I know. <laughs> Um, but I thought that her class was filled up and I was so sad, but I got a spot. So, um, so yeah, I just really want to be, um, you know, really uh, specific in what I want to gain each day, um, and be really present and, you know, as that's it, just have a good game plan. I wanted to open it up. If anybody, um, you know, had a question or a certain product that they wanted to look that look at that's coming out and they can't make it to the convention. Um, I would be okay with everybody, um, adding me on Facebook and just sending me a message and I'll try to do my best to, to go there. Cause I'm going to be there for six days. So I'll have time to, yeah, do multiple laps around. Um, and I think I'm the only Sandy Duro on Facebook, so I shouldn't <laughs> be hard to find. Very cool. Well, in every episode, episode we like to give a doodad of the week something that we want to share a product or resource or whatever it is um and this week i want to share the thing uma i don't i don't even know how to pronounce these names uh, <laughs> it's t-h-i-n-g-u-m-a thing thingama 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 <laughs> Anyway, it is the Thingama tripod key, uh, which is a pretty cool product. Um, a friend of mine down in St. George is making this. So if you've ever been in the situation where you're out shooting landscapes or whatever, and you need to uh, to tighten or, or replace the 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 screw on the bottom of, of your tripod plate, it can be very frustrating, especially when I was in China last time, my, my tripod screw came loose on the bottom of the, of my quick release plate. And all of the Chinese money is too big to fit in the little slot. <laughs> it 
was driving me nuts. And so uh, this company is making a cool little device that you can just put on your key ring. And it, it basically will do either an, an Allen wrench, so the right size for most camera plates, an Allen wrench, or the flat side if you have just a, nice. a, a flat head kind of screw that you put in there. So uh, it's one tiny little device. And he set up an, an offer code if you guys are interested in, in this. Uh, the offer code is improve, and that'll give you 25% off your purchase. Uh, that's Thingama, and we'll have a link link to it in the show notes. It's a pretty cool device. You know, just put it right on, on your keychain, then you always have something that you can use to tighten that screw, and it, it fits all of them. It's made just for that. It's pretty cool. Nice. So my doodad this week is not going to be hard to guess. It is the mag mod. <laughs> it's awesome. Jim is just jealous because it's, it's, you know, it's cooler than he is. So, you changed your mag mod just to taunt I, me, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. Anyways, the mag mod, um, they're pretty sweet. Check them out. Very cool. That was, that was great, Nick. <laughs> Um, so mine is actually a bag. Oh, the brand is Caden. Um, so if you guys, and this is like another Instagram thing, <laughs> all of these cool people on Instagram have these like canvas, uh, camera bags that have all these cool buckles and all this cool, like really trendy stuff on it. And I love them and they're beautiful. And I wanted a bag like that, but I didn't want to pay like $500 because for me, this type of camera bag is just something that I just use every once in a while. Usually I'm toting around my big roller bag or, or one of the more uh, legit camera bags. Um, so I wanted something, yeah, legit. Um, I wanted something that looked cool that I could use every once in a while, just like when I'm walking around town or whatever. Um, and I did not want to pay a bunch of money for it. So I did some digging and I found this brand on Amazon called Caden. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's C A. D-E-N. Um, and they make these bags that look really awesome, but are really cheap, actually. Um, so I got one uh, a couple months ago. I took it with me to New Zealand and um, Los Angeles, and I loved it. I got so many compliments on it, and it looked really cool. And everybody thought it was an Ona bag, which is the brand that makes these really awesome bags, but charges $500 for it. Um, and it's not. I only paid, I think, $40 for it. It has the bottom portion is where you put your camera and your lenses and your gear. And then the top portion is is an actual backpack area where you can put whatever you want. Um, I had my laptop in there. I think I had a sweater, a water, some candy, all, a book, all that good stuff. Um, so it just it has the look of one of those high end expensive bags. But the price tag is much easier on the pocket. Nice. I'll get back to you. Um, as to whether or not it lasts as long as the expensive ones, but so far so good. Nice. nice. Very cool. Hey, I'm going to throw something at you guys. I did not prep anybody for this. We've been talking a lot about Instagram, uh, on the <laughs> podcast today. I propose we do a little contest. Um, we'll, we'll put in the show notes, the links to all of our Instagrams, or you can just use our names. I think all of us are using just our names on Instagram. Uh, if you follow all of us, we are going to be giving out all kinds of prizes, uh, to you guys. So I'm, I'm just going to throw this right at you, what each of you are willing to offer uh, to a random winner who follows us on Instagram this week. So all you got to do is follow us on Instagram and then just go to, uh, to um, uh, wait, just follow us on Instagram. We, we will be able to follow see all the new people uh, who are on there. Do, we, do they need to post anywhere? No, we'll be able to see who follows us for this, this <laughs> week, right? We can check recent followers. 
Can we do that? I think yeah, so. you can do that with a little time, but yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, I am willing to offer three portfolio reviews uh, to one random winner. Nick, what are you giving them? <clears throat> I have a ball head that I've never, ever used. So uh, I believe it's a Sunway photo. So I will... I will throw in a brand new ball head to whoever follows me. Oh, ups person. the ante. All right, Erica. You know what? I think I'm going to stick with this Caden bag. I think I will ah! I'll get you a nice. Whoa, we're giving Kaden all bag. kinds of cool stuff to these people. <laughs> no pressure, oh, Sandy. Nice, I was going to say, okay, I got one, but it, it's only good for a Canon user, I guess. But I have a 40 millimeter macro lens left over 2.8. Nice. It's all yours. Whoa, <laughs> nice. you guys are killing this. All right. So we have some pretty huge prizes here. All you've got to do is go follow us on instagram we'll say what's what's the deadline what are we putting the deadline on this thing march 5th is the deadline uh to go follow us on instagram that's nick page and sandy duro and eric are you erica kaufman or erica k on instagram it's erica k photography erica k and i'm yeah. jim harmer on instagram you can see it in the show notes as well follow us and we are going to pick some random winners to get some pretty cool stuff thanks for joining us on this i still have to do my doodad oh your doodad okay let's hear it <laughs> i'm sorry because i, I kind of threw a wrench in the system because I, I backtracked and then i didn't <laughs> talk about my doodad um so like nick i have back problems um and mine aren't as severe as nick's but i found that um you know working a whole day shooting and then editing in front of the computer all day was killing my back. Um, and I would have like paralyzing back spasms to the point where I said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I was taking, you know, like steroids and all these drugs that I just didn't feel good about taking. Um, so, and this is totally geeky and it's my old lady thing, but I'm not even kidding. It saved my career. Um, it's called the BSN, uh, medical pro light clavicle support back brace. And I only use it while I'm editing. I've used it shooting once and I just didn't care what I looked like. It's this thing that goes around your shoulders and keeps your shoulders back. So when you're editing, it, it makes you all in alignment um, and it's comfortable. It's not terrible and it's not expensive. It's like $20. Um, and then I use that in conjunction with this stuff called Deep Relief from Young Living. It's one of the essential oil things, which I'm not a total hippie yet, but it is the one. <laughs> I'm She's getting on it. the way. It is, it is the one thing that like I cannot live without now. It's kind of like icy hot, but so so much better and and you can use it every day and it's just natural stuff so i use those in conjunction and i haven't had a back spasm since noted that's so and, and I think that's a really good cautionary tale for anybody who's just getting into it. When you're editing, if you're not if you don't have proper posture, <laughs> like you're going to you're going to feel it down the road. So if you yeah. can take care of that now, you know, do it. Saving Sorry. editing fatigue all around the world. Thank you, everybody, <laughs> for joining us on this uh, kind of weird episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. <laughs> we had a fun time together. And thanks, Sandy, for joining us. Uh, and Erica, we don't usually have uh, either of you on here. So thank you guys for joining us. And we'll see you all in another seven days.